So if you preach on uh, forgiveness, you better be prepared that there's going to be somebody that you're going to need to forgive that week. And if you preach on, uh, you know, joy, you know, that's what you want to preach on, right? Because that week, although sometimes it's joy in the midst of troubles, which, you know, you got to learn how to do that. So that's why you've never heard me preach on patience, and uh, <laughs> hopefully I never will. Um, but today we're preaching on mercy, and I've, that's something that certainly this last week has been, God has been teaching me and teaching my life. Um, so more on that later. Uh, but we're going to be preaching out of Luke, so we're in Luke 6. If you want to crack your Bibles open to Luke 6, and as we're doing that, um, I do this every once in a while. We have a library, a small library here, uh, which has books that are free to use. If you want to come in and read it, there's some study material, there's... Uh, there's some uh, novels, like Chronicles of Narnia, that sort of thing, um, but there's a lot of good stuff on prayer and marriage and whatnot, and we, we try to kind of build up the library uh, in terms of things that it's missing. So this season, I'm trying to focus on building up the Bible commentary uh, section of our library, and so I got this commentary, um, and it's going to be in the library. It's the, on the Gospel of Luke, what we're going to be preaching on today, and it's by a guy named Justo... Gonzalez. Justo Gonzalez is actually originally a church historian. Uh, where is he out of? That oh, doesn't say on here. Um, he's a church historian, and so his commentary, there's a lot of talk about history and the history of interpretation, and I found it really exciting. He's a very easy guy to read, too. Sometimes you get an academic piece of literature, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to drink a cup of coffee before I even open the page of this thing. Justo Gonzalez is not like that. He's very approachable, very readable. So this will be in uh, the library from here on out. Uh, if you're interested in um, learning more about the book of Luke or if you have some, you know, you want to check out a commentary, do that. Please write down your name in the book that you're checking out when you do check it out just because we want to know where, where all of our stuff is. All right, but uh, today we're in Luke 6. We're in verses 27 through 36. And, and this passage, it's a pretty famous one. Last week, remember, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. All right. This is Luke's version of the same uh, general sermon that Jesus is preaching, and it's a different part of it. And it's a pretty famous part. Once we read it out loud, you'll, you'll recognize some of it, I guarantee you. Even if, even if you've never cracked a Bible open in your life, you're going to recognize parts of this passage, so don't worry. Um, and it's broken up. This passage is broken up into two parts. The first part is a what? Say what? The second part is a why. Say why. The first part's a what, and the second part's a why. And some people don't like talking about the what of the Bible. They don't like talking about the what of the Bible, because the Bible has a lot of what's in it. The Bible has a lot of do this, don't do that sort of a thing in it. And people like to say things like, I don't like that religious stuff. You know, I don't like that religious stuff. And what they mean by that is they mean, I don't like somebody suggesting to me that I should live life according to anybody else's standards except for my own. I want to be able to completely decide for my own life. And the scripture has a lot of things to say about that. A lot of things to say about how we should be living our lives. Religion to them is anyone or anything that suggests that they're not living the right kind of life. And the only problem with that idea is that ever since the dawn of time, Humans have not lived good lives. When we live lives according to how we want to live our life, it does not end well with us, 
right? You remember very back at the very beginning of Genesis 3, Eve is being tempted by the serpent, and uh, she tells the serpent, well, we can't eat from this tree because God told us not to. He said we would die. And what does the serpent say? He says, well, God surely didn't say that you would die. What he's scared of, Eve, he's scared because when you eat of this tree, you're going to be able to tell good from evil. In other words, the choice will now be yours. You'll have complete control of your life, Eve, and God doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to have control over your life. He wants to control your life for you. That's why you should eat of this apple. And she does eat of it, and look what happens to all of us. Not entirely Eve's fault. Adam, standing right next to her, all right, the whole time, doesn't say a word. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> you don't want all that religious stuff telling you what to do. You don't want to obey those laws. You want to decide for yourself. You want to know good from evil. You want to be able to choose for yourself. We need to listen to the what of God's commandments in Scripture. We need to listen and attend to what God is telling us in Scripture. And then there's some people, so there's some people don't like the what of the Bible. There's other people that don't like the why of the Bible. Right? They say, I don't care why. Just tell me what to do. Tell me where to stand and what to say and how to look, and I'll be satisfied with that. I don't want to know why. Don't bog me down with the details. Right? And what I've found is that people often in that situation have a very performative understanding of their faith. In other words, their idea of faith is something like this. I do my chores, I get a cookie. Right? <laughs> I do my chores, I get a cookie. I do what God wants me to do, and everything works out. I've done my chores, now where's my cookie? Right. And the problem is that God doesn't operate like that. God is profoundly interested in the why. God's profoundly interested in the reason behind. Often I found people get very upset when life does not turn out how they think it should because they've, quote, done all the right things. They don't understand the why. They don't understand God. And then they get upset with Scripture. But the reality is, you never wanted to know why in the first place. God doesn't want offerings because he's hungry. Cain. He doesn't want offerings because he's hungry. He wants you to be obedient. And if you bring him food thinking that that's what he wants, you're going to be very disappointed because you don't understand the why behind this. You don't understand why he wants you to bring an offering. All right? And things don't turn out well. Many Christians don't care to understand God's why. They want the why to be left up to the pastors and the priests. Sorry, it's true. Yeah, it's true. That's right. Preach it, sister. But let's read this together. Let's go to Luke 6, 27 through 36. The first part's a what, the second part's a why. All right, I'm going to read it. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'll read it off the screen here. But to you who are listening, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the what. Next verse. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Keep on going. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Let's go back to the very beginning. Very, very first verse. First part of verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say. But to you who are listening, I say. It's amazing to me the impact of Jesus' words. Throughout history, if you, if you care to study history, you'll see Jesus' words have had incredible impact on the course of human events. They have launched wars, and they have stopped wars. Uh, they have uh, caused marriages to hold together, and they've caused families to be divided between each other. All right? They've caused people to go to war, and they've also brokered treaties. Jesus' words have the power to turn the world upside down. The question is, are we willing to listen to them? But to you who are listening. See, it's one thing to read Jesus' words. It's another thing to listen to them. To allow them influence in your life. I was studied the Bible with somebody once, and uh, they were non-Christian. And, and I said, well, let's read, let's read this book. Let's read John together. You know, let's get together and read it. You go, okay, let's, let's do it. So I showed up at our first meeting, and and I sat down, and I said, okay, well, how far did you get in John? And we'll talk about what you read. He goes, oh, I read it. I said, oh, okay. He said, yeah, I read it twice. I said, oh. I said, that's great. What, what, do you, what did you think of it? Ah, oh, he said, it's all right. I said, oh. I said, wait, do you have any questions about it? No, no questions. Oh, yeah. I said, okay. Uh, well, shoot. What? What did you think about God coming to earth? I mean, what did you think about all the stuff in there? See, you can, you can read scripture. You can read the words and yet still not listen to it, still not hear it. If you're reading scripture and you're all like, okay, it's good. Yeah, that's good. Yep, yep, good, good. Ah, it's all good. I would submit to you perhaps you are reading without listening. When I read scripture, it kind of looks like this. Reading, 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 stop. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, shoot. Let me look at a commentary. Let me see if I can get around this. Uh, <laughs> is there some kind of Greek word that I don't know that's, you know, nope, it's right there. Oh, shoot. Because I'm trying to listen to what Jesus is saying, right? I'm allowing him to speak to me. That's how we need to read scripture. Not just to read the words, but to listen to Jesus. So to you who are listening, I say, not interested in Jack Hayford right now. I'm not interested in St. Augustine. I'm interested in Jesus. What does Jesus have to say? This is what he says. Going on. Go ahead. To you are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Stop right there. This is what Jesus says to those who dare to listen to him. Christians will always have enemies in this world. The reason is because we point to something which is not worldly. Point to something away from ourselves. It's as if if everyone's born with a big arrow, and that arrow is pointed straight to themselves. And when you encounter Christ, you begin to realize that that arrow really needs to be pointed towards God, and you begin to turn your arrow around. But then everybody around you notices. There's something about that guy. 
Some about the way he acts. I do. It makes me uncomfortable. All right. Something about his beliefs. Something about his. Something about the way that he lives his life makes me uncomfortable. It's because you're pointing in a different direction to what this world is pointing in. So we should not be surprised when people get angry with Christians or when they don't like Christians. That should be normal for us. I'd be more concerned if everybody liked us. Right? We are going to have enemies. Jesus says here, love your enemies. Jesus says very clearly in John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If you obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If, you, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. As a Christian, each of us has a calling. Right? Each of us has a responsibility to point towards Christ. In a world pointed towards themselves, it's our responsibility as Christians to point towards Christ. We are pointing towards a heavenly kingdom. And it's disruptive for the people around us. But don't allow the hatred of other people to deter you from your calling. See, when we start to care more about what other people think about us or what they say about us, rather than what God thinks and cares about, we start to point that arrow back to ourselves. We start to redirect things back to us, to make us more comfortable. What would be the radical thing to do? What would be the amazing thing to do? (laughs) It would be to take that arrow. Take that orientation. Take that kingdom mindset and give it to your enemies even too, to them. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Treat well those who mistreat you. It is not easy at all. Don't let the rejection and opposition which you naturally encounter divert you from your role as a witness to the kingdom. Because every time you love somebody instead of hating them, you're pointing towards God. Every time that you treat somebody well who has mistreated you, you're pointing away from yourself, and it becomes even more apparent that you are not behaving like this world behaves. The hatred of this world is incomparable to the love which is present in Christ Jesus. And the more that we understand that, the more that we understand that love can conquer fear, that love can conquer hatred, that love can heal all divides, the more we, we latch onto that idea, and then we, the more that we access the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we begin to initiate the kingdom of God on earth. Right? And all of a sudden, we're redirecting people, and now redirecting communities, and redirecting societies and nations to be pointed no longer at themselves, but to be pointed at God. One day those who mistreat you may be ashamed of their conduct, but even if they never are, you have given them an example of Christ. You've given them an example of Christ. Christ died for all people. And I'm sure it might be disappointing to him that not all people accept that. But he's still given them an example, hasn't he? He's still demonstrated. Whether or not they want to accept it or not, this represents God's love to you, to every one of you. That's the importance of a witness It points to something beyond themselves. Let's move on. Verse 29 to 30. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold from them your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This past week we celebrated on Monday uh, the birth of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, During the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, uh, Martin led a very much 
the nonviolent movement arm of that movement. He called it nonviolent direct action. Nonviolent direct action. He organized boycotts, he organized marches, services, rallies, and other campaigns against segregation, which contributed greatly to the demise of that institution. And his work was almost entirely based on passages like this. Whenever, uh, whenever Martin and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, is that right? Yeah, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC, that was his organization. Whenever they would come into town to do a boycott or a rally or something like that, or a march, um, they would have a lot of volunteers. A lot of people wanted to join up with them. Not everybody, of course, but a lot of people, you know, uh, really wanted to get in on this. And so they would have training sessions. A lot of times they would use church buildings. And they would invite people, if you wanted to come, be a part of the march or be a part of the boycott, you got to come to a training session. So you'd show up there, and there would be Martin and the rest of the leadership of the, of the movement, and they would teach you how to behave in a march. And uh, after the meeting was done, you had to sign a pledge. And the pledge was to follow the Ten Commandments of nonviolent protesting uh, that Martin had written. The first one which isn't as germane to our message as later ones, but the first one is reflect daily on the teachings of Jesus. That's the first one. The eighth one, which I want to kind of focus on, the eighth one says this. It says, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. It wasn't enough to not react violently. They could not hate those who hated them. It wasn't enough to not react violently. In their heart, they had to resolve not to hate those who hated them. The importance of that is powerful. Because what, what we do as humans, we build up societies and then they, they come tumbling down. We replace them with other things. But it's always, always built on reciprocity, on violence, on hatred. Right, this government is oppressive, so I'm going to form a uh, rebellious group, and we're going to overthrow this uh, oppressive government using force, using violence, and build an even greater government. And what does that do? It lays the seeds of violence at the very foundation of your society. But when Jesus comes, you see, this is an amazing thing. When Jesus overthrows this world. He does it through an act of love, complete self-sacrifice, so that at the foundation of the kingdom of heaven, at the foundation of what he's attempting to do, is not violence, but love. That's why it's important. You can't just react nonviolently. You have to love. You have to not allow your heart to be violent. That way, love becomes the center and the foundation of King said this, he said, the nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he refuses to hate him. Later on, um, as the center of the 60s rolled around, the mid-60s, nonviolent direct action started to fall out of favor with some people um, because the results, it had long-lasting results, but it came, came slowly at times. And a lot of people felt like perhaps violence uh, is a necessary part of this. And Martin, actually, if you read, he has this book called Where Do We Go From Here?, uh, which is a great book, and um, in it, he's kind of wrestling with this thing, with this reality that things are not progressing as fast as he thought that they would, and people are kind of on him. Do you really think nonviolence is still the way? Do you really think that that's really still 
the way to do this. And this is what he wrote. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The beauty of, viol- of nonviolence is that in its own way and in its own time, it seeks to break the chain reaction of evil. It seeks to break the chain reaction of evil. That's what Jesus is interested in, in our world, to break the power of evil. Not to use evil means or evil intent to build something else up in its place, but to break the power of evil. We have been given a huge task, church. It's a mission which is beyond ourselves. It's beyond New Life Foursquare Church. It's beyond all of Foursquare Churches. It's beyond ourselves. In fact, it's beyond the church. We are called to initiate the kingdom of God to build it on love and forgiveness and grace instead of hatred and despair and fear. And to do that, we need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit here among us to equip us to do this what? Do to others as you would have them do to you, says Jesus. And his words here are, are, are really radical. All right? They're called to disrupt this cycle of violence and replace it with a cycle of love. That's the what of this passage. That's the what. Let's move on to the why and spend a little bit of time there. Okay, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. There's something particular about God's grace, something unique about how it works, how it acts. Uh, Unless somebody is maladjusted, normally humans love those who love them. It's a very natural reaction, Um, normally, under normal circumstances. Uh, People normally, you know, it makes sense for a bank to loan money to people who are fully expected to pay that back. Nobody should give a bank kudos. Sorry, Michelle. Where's Michelle? Sorry, Michelle. Nobody should give a bank kudos for lending out money to people from whom they expect to get not only the original payment, but also interest back on it. There's nothing righteous about that. There's nothing very fiscally responsible about it. But there's nothing righteous about that. These are not... uh, You know, if the bank said, take as much money as you'd like... Repay us back, don't repay us back. It wouldn't matter. That would be particular. That would be peculiar. That would be odd. That would be, that would be crazy. Shoot. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Hmm. A Christian ethic is a very particular, very peculiar, very unique ethic. It requires something beyond ourselves, some kind of level of trust that does not come naturally to us, some kind of level of faith and hope that does not come naturally to us. In other words, if we want to live out the, the understanding, the what of Jesus' uh, commandments to us, we have to understand the why. How? How is this possible? Why are you doing this to us? If God has come to dwell inside of each of you, then there's no amount of debt, there's no amount of despair, there's no amount of evil that could come upon your life that could erase even an iota of your worth in God's eyes. Your worth, your, your power, your, 
your love, your affection, your spirit is built up by the presence of God. And not through what you do, remember that was last week, not through what you do or how productive you are. Let's move on. Verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be called children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now we come to the final and most important section of this passage. This is the why, the real why. And we discover that the why behind Jesus' actions is not a persuasive argument. The why behind Jesus' actions is a divine person. Your Father is merciful to you, says Jesus. Be merciful as he is merciful. Mercy does not come naturally to us. Uh, when people wrong us, we say, I want to watch them suffer. I want to get back at them. It's unnatural to say what God says when people wrong God. You know what he says? He says, I want them to be whole again. I want them to be restored. I want them to be better. This last week, um, uh, as a part of my living out this sermon, uh, first of all, if you're a parent, mercy does not come naturally to you. So that's been interesting. But this last week, I discovered something which uh, I really enjoyed watching until I realized how how germane it was to my sermon. And that was a, a YouTube channel of a, of a, a scammer. Do you, you know these scammers? They call up. By the way, public service announcement. If anybody calls you on the phone and asks for your bank account information or to confirm your social security number or anything, don't do it. Don't ever do it. They will never do that. Right? The IRS does not call people and say, um, confirm for us your... They know your social security number, okay? They know who you are. Don't do it. Um, so uh, there's a hacker. You guys know hackers, right? Hackers get a bad rap, but in the millennial and below generation, hackers are kind of heroes. They're pretty cool people. Zach knows. I'm sorry. There's a hacker, and he has a YouTube channel, and what he does basically is he gets these scammers to get on the computer with him allows them access into his computer. He sets up a virtual machine, which is basically like a projection of your computer. It's not your computer itself. It's like a, like a ghost of your computer. It looks like a computer screen, and it, it interacts like that, but it's not actually your computer. So he gets these scammers to log into his virtual machine. And as they're trying to access a bank account, or he's, he was recording all this, he gets into their machine and begins deleting files, uh, and begins uh, locking down their computer so that they have to know a password to open it back up again. One guy, he deleted like 200,000 files off this guy's computer, if you can imagine. Um, and, you know, you're watching this, and then there's, of course, a point like three-quarters of the way through where the, the person who's is scamming realizes what's happening and starts to really freak out. Um, and I watched a lot of those this last week. And a part of me was like, yes. Yes, get those guys back. Give them a little bit of what they deserve, right? Ah, thank you, I know. Don't, you don't even have to say it. I know, I know. And I, it, was, it was the point at which the guy was, was in the microphone to rejoicing over how um, he had deleted this, this scammer's uh, files, and he said something like, I noticed that he had some Android apps in there that he had been developing. 
and the, now that's completely gone. And, and when, they, when it's gone, it means it's, it's never to be attained again, that sort of thing. And as I'm, like, smiling and enjoying it, it suddenly hit me. Oh, my gosh. Like, what if this guy was trying to get out of this scamming business by making apps? You know, like, what if that was his out? What if he was doing this and he hated himself for it, but he felt like he didn't have any other way to make money? And now he's like, all right, well, if I develop something, maybe I can get out of this. There's a part of me that feels like, oh, it's still illegal. He's still, you know, he still deserves, still got what he deserves. But there's another part of me that's like, man, the mercy of God always restores people. The mercy of God always seeks to build somebody up. The mercy of God takes somebody who has done something wrong and builds their life up. We don't do that so well as humans. We take people that have done wrong things and we tear them down even more. Our our entire criminal justice system is set up so that when people mess up, we punish them and punish them hard. And it's not set up very well to rehabilitate people to make people, to take their lives from the puddle that they've created and reform them into better people. Um, that's a real problem. Uh, for me, this last week, that was a lot of conviction. Why am I rejoicing so much in the suffering of other people? And even if it's somebody that I don't like or that has wronged me, isn't that exactly what Jesus is talking about right here? To treat well those who mistreat you. To show mercy to those who don't deserve it. Can you imagine if God gave us what we wanted, what we deserved? Yeah, and he doesn't, does he? Here Jesus uncovers a picture of who the Father is. He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Right? He gives and gives and gives without expecting anything in return. Never shows up saying, hey, I gave you that blessing last week. Can I get something back for that? He gives and gives and gives. He does good to those even who curse him. In scripture it says he causes his sun to shine even on those who hate him. And the rain falls on the fields of those who curse him. God gives and gives and gives. And thank goodness that he does. Because there was a time when I was an enemy of God's too. There's a time when I was his enemy. When I was scamming God. When I was getting out of God everything I could without wanting anything with the relationship or the religion or the I wanted what I wanted and I took it from him and thank goodness he didn't treat me like I would have treated him thank goodness he had mercy on me so how do we live how do we do this how do we walk this out now all the way back in verse 27 to those who are willing to listen are we willing to listen to Jesus be willing to listen to God? Or do you shut him down because he's saying things you don't like? Be willing to listen to Jesus. Walk through scripture. We have a, a, you know, a Bible study going on on Saturday nights. All right, we're going to have more Bible studies going on in the future. But guess what? You don't need a Bible study to read the Bible. Just read your Bibles. Listen to Jesus' words. That's number one. Be willing to listen. And number two, all the way back here at the end. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. I want to end here uh, with a quote from this book by Justo Gonzalez. He says this. He says, Even though we often tend to think that the basis for the Christian ethic, for the Christian way to live their life, is the golden rule, in the final analysis, the basis for Christian ethics is the very nature and action of God. It's not the golden rule. 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the what, the basis. What's behind that? What's backing that up? The why. Why do we do that, God? Why do we do that, Jesus? Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful because you serve a merciful God. Gonzalez says this, the golden rule of do as you would have done is not the ultimate norm here. Rather, the ultimate norm is do as God would do. Do as God would do. That's where I want to kind of leave us right now. We're going to have a time of prayer, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that call, to do as God would do. So as we close our eyes today, would you just come before the Lord honestly this morning? And if there's something in your heart, maybe, that has been pricked by this sermon, if there's some word or there's some action or there's some um, uh, experience that you've had which has been pricked by this, that maybe God is bringing conviction to your heart and saying, you know what, you need to be merciful in this. Um, and Lord, I, just, I pray for anybody here who's feeling their conscience pricked a bit. Lord, like I said earlier, we have a task that's beyond ourselves. We need your strength. We need your help to do these things. We can't be merciful in and of ourselves. We need you to lead us into that. So I pray for every person here, if they felt, if they felt the prick of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give them courage, Lord, to do what it is that they need to do, to be right before you, to be merciful towards others, to live life as you live your life, Lord. God, I pray for others, God. Others, perhaps, who have been wronged. And how difficult and how frustrating and how uh, painful that is. Lord, sometimes showing mercy means offering forgiveness before it's asked of us. Sometimes showing mercy means giving you the burden of our shame or of our pain instead of holding it on to it ourselves. So I pray, God, for those of us maybe who are wounded this morning, would you give us strength, please, Lord? Give us strength to depend on you, to lean on you. And Lord, right now even, if there's somebody here today who has a matter of unforgiveness or bitterness on their heart, I want to encourage you use this moment, use this opportunity to just say, Lord, I offer you my bitterness. I offer you my pain. Allow God to take responsibility for the pain that you've endured. As long as you hold on to it yourself, it will destroy you from the inside out as you wait for the reconciliation that will not come. You need to release that pain to God in order to find freedom and allow and trust God that he is going to find the fulfillment for that pain. So Lord, I lift up to you this congregation, Lord, those who are in need of mercy, God, those who are in need of giving mercy. By your spirit, I pray that you would empower us to do those things. Lord, we receive your spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, our Father. Lord, your love is so sweet, and it covers all of our sins. We accept now again, anew, in this moment, we accept your sacrifice over our lives. And Lord, we give you all of our sins. 
We give you all of our pain. We give you all of our history. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we're at. You are the good, good Father. You are merciful to all. Thank you, Jesus. And now, beloved brothers and sisters, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed. Go out in peace. Come in in joy. Let the love of God guide your hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.